Welcome to the Startup Tank Climate Investor Pitch Show, the premier online startup pitch contest where top climate tech and impact founders pitch VCs looking to fund world positive companies. If you're a founder looking for funding or a climate or impact investor interested in joining and investing alongside forward VCs, syndicate, and companies that move the world forward, please visit thestartuptank.com for more details and to apply. But now it's time to enter the tank. It looks like we're good. We are live. Guys, welcome to the Startup Tank, the Climate Investor Pitch Show, the show where we get the world's top climate investors, our sharks on, alongside some of the most interesting pre-seed to pre-series A climate companies, the ones who are focused on sustainable innovation and building a building a better world. We like to say we invest at, at Forward. We invest at companies that will move the world forward. You can find out more about us at forward.vc, the number four ward, so forward.vc. There, you can also find our 900 plus climate investor database, where you can filter by stage, sector, geography, and check size, find your ideal investors. You can join our climate techies ecosystem of 2000 plus climate techies. So founders, investors, ecosystem players, et cetera. That's at just forward.vc slash techies. You can learn more about our partner in climate accelerator, where we invest in one to two companies and then really go all in literally as your partner in crime and connect you with dozens to hundreds of clients, corporates, and help land some serious traction. Today though, today's the startup tank. And we've got some five incredible companies on today. They're gonna to be pitching to three amazing investor panelists, plus yours truly. And uh, hopefully, we'll, uh, hopefully we'll get some action for the companies. Now the format companies, they'll have five minutes to pitch, followed by about 10 minutes of Q&A and at the end of the night, We'll choose a climate startup of the night. Now it's time to welcome in my uh, my co-panelists, Charlie Travers with Angel Ventures. You want to want to share a little bit more about you guys and your background? Um, yes, hello everyone. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for the for the invitation. Um, so so we are we are a VC fund that's uh, that's been active since uh, two thousand eight. Actually, we we're born as an angel investor network. Um, and so we have two funds of twenty and seventy million dollars. We have made some climate uh, investments uh, already. Um, one of which, for example, is is Algramo, uh, uh, which uh, which works in uh, reusable packages. Um, and yeah, uh, in general, uh, our our focus, our region of focus is Latin America. Although although we do work with with global entities and are working on uh, a south to south uh, thesis, uh, working in in developing countries. Awesome. Thanks. You want to you wanna go next, David? Sure. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, my name is David Weeks. I'm with Pangea Ventures. Um, we're a um, hard tech and materials venture capital firm uh, with an office uh, in Vancouver, which is where I'm based, and in Phoenix as well. Uh, we invest in companies um, primarily in the material science space um, with uh, an impact focus in climate, food and water security, and human health. Um, we're currently investing out of our fifth fund. We've been around for over 20 years. Uh, the current fund has a target of about 100 to 150 million. We're actively fundraising still, um, but we have made a couple of early investments out of that fund. One in a um, metals recycling business and, and called PH7, um, and another one in a um, carbon capture technology using a membrane technology. So um, very much a strong climate focus. Um, and um, yeah, looking forward to being here today and to meeting the companies. And last, but certainly not least, Riley with uh, Valia. Hey, everyone. Thanks for hosting, Matt. Uh, my name is Riley. I'm at Valia Ventures. We just closed our second fund last year. It's a $50 million early stage fund. So for us, that means pre-seed and seed. 
Uh, we're generalists by nature, so we invest across sector, but are definitely interested and have invested in climate. Uh, most recently, we invested in a company last year called Vibrant Planet, which is in the wildfire restoration space. Uh, really exciting team, big problem to go after here on the West Coast. Uh, so yeah, excited to hear from the companies and uh, and thanks for hosting again, Matt. Absolutely. And then on our side, Forward VC, we invest in hard tech and software focused on climate and sustainability. If as you grow and scale, you make a proportionally positive and awesome impact on the world and the environment, we're interested. Forward.vc for more details. The only things we really avoid are kind of carbon accounting, carbon credits, carbon markets, and carbon anything with a blockchain. So let's, uh, without further ado, want to uh, kick things onto the the companies of tonight. Thanks for joining me, everybody on the on the panel. And let's uh, let's kick things off to the companies. Gillian, um, uh, Jillian, it looks like uh, you and your found, uh, co-founder are here. Do you guys want to take things away and share? Hello? Sure, I'm happy to do that. So I can just share my screen. Awesome. And you'll have five minutes. I'll give you a one minute kind of shot clock warning and you are free to go whenever you're ready. Okay. Do you see that correctly? I do. Wonderful. So at PDA Ecolab, we're passionate about the mountains and the way we contribute to protecting those environments is by decarbonizing high performance composites. And that's why we're called PDA, because we believe that passion demands action. If you ride a bike, play tennis or ski, you know that this equipment is often based on carbon fiber. It's also one of the best materials for reducing the weight of cars, trains, planes, wind turbines in order to cut greenhouse emissions during their use life. But carbon fiber also has drawbacks. It's much more expensive. Um, it increases emissions during manufacturing. A single kilo generates almost 30 kilos of greenhouse emissions. And it's exclusively, almost exclusively, derived from petroleum. How then do we get the benefits of carbon fiber without those drawbacks? PDA Ecolab develops new bio-based materials that can be used alone or with carbon fiber to improve performance, reduce costs, and reduce greenhouse emissions, one kilo should only generate one kilo of emissions. As an example, we're working with a Portuguese bicycle manufacturer to replace 50% of the carbon fiber in a bicycle frame set. And this would reduce emissions by more than 40%, reduce materials costs by about a third, improve the stiffness to weight ratio and increase impact resistance and durability. To quickly explain what a composite is, Fiber yarns are woven into fabrics, and then these fabrics are mixed with a resin and molded to create a product, anything from that bicycle frame to a wind turbine blade. And PDA sells the yarns to the fabric manufacturers. These companies are looking for ecological solutions. In fact, four of the largest seven manufacturers in the world launched their first bio-based fabrics in 2022. But to date, these are based solely on flax fiber, which causes a drop in performance. PDA is the only company using multiple bio-based fibers to provide a range of products with different performance and cost characteristics. In the future, our unique approach will enable us to develop a machine learning platform to automate the development of new materials that can be customized to the needs of specific applications, something that's currently impossible in the industry. The biggest competitor is carbon fiber in its current form and the more environmental versions that are currently being developed. But PDA has a strong advantage over both due to our dramatically lower greenhouse footprint in either case and our ability to improve performance. 
Additionally, there are other bio-based materials companies. And currently we see a very collaborative approach to this segment, um, growing the overall market. Terre de Lana and Deeper Steel, for example, are manufacturing partners for us. And we see BCOMP as a prospective customer. We're starting in sport because it's 10% of the total carbon fiber market. It's the earliest adopter and our team has unique expertise in relationships here. But our fabric manufacturer customers already sell into a wide range of industries. And by helping them succeed with a sustainable offer in sporting goods, they become active partners in our channel into other markets, helping us scale more quickly, which opens up a $14 billion market opportunity that becomes even bigger in the future when we're able to replace aluminium, fiberglass, and other materials. Material sales will form the majority of our revenue, but smaller, higher margin revenue streams come from related services, patents, and upcycling our production waste. The co-founding team is highly complementary. My business partner, Lance, who's also on, has 25 years experience in R&D and innovations for, for sporting products. He's commercialized over 200 products and created more than 90 patents or patents pending. On my side, I have 25 years experience in B2B marketing in the tech and digital sectors, including 10 years with a cloud computing startup from both from all the way through from early employee to post acquisition. Our materials have been validated at lab scale, and we're currently raising pre-seed funds to support industrialization. For that, we're raising funds in a rolling agile mode as we pass key milestones, and we're aiming to raise another 150 to 200,000 euros in this round. We've already completed two successful manufacturing One trials. One minute warning. And we now have two pre-industrial trials planned. The first in June will provide a few dozen kilos of material for our first proof of concept partners. And a larger trial is planned for the autumn to supply additional qualified leads on our wait list. Once those milestones have been met, we'll open our seed round at the end of 2023 to move into small scale production using our existing outsourced manufacturing model begin building our machine learning platform and strengthen our sales pipeline. And a future Series A will be driven by decisions on the best manufacturing model for us to let us scale rapidly and meet market demand. Our carbon neutral future demands high performance, low emissions materials that keep costs in check. And that's what PDA is all about. Thank you. And thank you. Great job with the pitch. Let me pull in our other panelists here. And while I'm doing that, a quick question. So we met uh, we met a couple months back at the conference. What's happened since then? How are things going on the the snowboarding and the sports market? Uh, so things are going really well actually in in that market. So we've since we met, um, I think it was about six weeks ago, we've validated our our second manufacturing trial um, in terms of production, and uh, we're continuing to to move forward on those discussions in the sporting goods market. So we have another very large uh, European ski brand. Um, on board, waiting to test the materials and um, working, like I say, with that um, Portuguese uh, bicycle frame manufacturer. You wanna, you wanna kick things off, Riley? Yeah, happy to. Um, great presentation. I appreciate you running through that. Uh, also, a big fan of the, the outdoors and mountains. So, love to see more sustainable materials in the space. Um, speaking of that, we, we've invested in a material science company, and I think the the biggest challenge we realized there was. It's easy to get thrown into R&D projects and you know, be a test case for one company or one product and have that be something that's unfortunately ongoing for, for a while. Uh, what have you been able to do early on amongst a really wide range of partners and sports and use cases to really assess if there's true buy-in from some of these customers and if it is something that will be able to scale over time? Yeah, so Lance, do you want to take that? 
Um, actually, I'm sorry, is it at all possible you could repeat that question? I dropped off. We have a storm here, and so my internet dropped out. No worries, no worries. Uh, hope everything's okay. Um, no. Yeah, my main question was, just from experience, we've seen some material science companies, both in and outside of our portfolio, get stuck in R&D teams and just be kind of like a test case or an innovation project, but not necessarily something that's translated into large-scale uh, commercialization efforts. And so I was curious if you've been able to assess that with a wide range of partners and some of your early pilots to make sure there's genuine interest and demand and ability to scale up your technology within their manufacturing process. Uh, um, well, our technology, um, it doesn't require significant adaptation. Um, for starters, we have talked so far with more than 100 ski builders, um, approximately 50 different um, bicycle manufacturers at various levels. And we've started talking with people in the racket sports market. And um, more than 90% of the companies that we speak with are extremely interested, have identified sustainability as a top three necessity um, for company goals and are requesting to test our materials. Um, you know, does, does that provide a, a robust universal um, understanding of demand? Um, I don't know about that, but we do know that at least in the areas where we've been able to touch uh, base with a uh, significant audience of um, people, that there's been strong interest. So um, that combined with the success that we're seeing with flax fiber-based composites um, makes us very confident that we'll be able to um, transition from R&D into mainstream production. Great, thank you. And for investors, there are no really turns. You can raise your hand or just go. Don't worry. Um, hello, thank you very much for your presentation. Very, very exciting approach. Um, my question comes more with um, with the material that you're uh, producing. You talked about performance, sustainability. I know that, for example, uh, one aspect of bringing, you know hemp to fabric is that it, it has like high stain. Uh, maybe, uh, are there other characteristics or other considerations to take to take uh, into consideration uh, when when it comes to your material and its implementation? I, I, I see that your first go-to-market is, is for um, apparel and mostly high, high, high performance. Um, so we're, we're definitely not for apparel, we're effectively replacing um, carbon fiber uh, in things like tennis rackets, skis, bicycle frames okay. um, to start. And so um, we have, sorry, I've got the, the blur on the screen. So we have um, our first version of material that we call um, biopower. And this uses a hybridization of uh, multiple plant-based fibers to create the performance. And there we're looking at things like 
density, um, flexural strength, flexural stiffness, tensile strength, tensile stiffness, um, the fineness of the fiber. Um, and, and that's kind of on the mechanical side. Um, then we can also look at where the fibers are cultivated to get local sourcing in the future um, of different types of fiber and uh, refine our recipe around that. So we're trying to take um, the entire ecosystem really into account. Um, and then we also have a second material that we call core power. And this is a bio-based vibration damping filament because as composites and things become lighter and stiffer, vibration becomes a critical factor in how they perform. And so to replace all of the petroleum-based solutions um, for vibration damping in composites, we've created uh, this solution. And, um, you know, that we're, we're looking at um, a, a bio-based filament that we use a bio-based adhesive to adhere a bio-based um, damping agent to. So. Um, I guess I'll go next. Um, yeah, really, uh, I enjoyed the presentation um, and uh, always good to see, yeah, more sustainable materials being used uh, for uh, things like sporting goods, things I'm also passionate about. Um, my uh, um, my question is around really, you know, some of these, uh, you know, kind of almost building a little bit off of, of Riley's question around R&D projects. Do you have a sense from some of your early customers around the, the stage and the scale, or sorry, I guess the cost and the scale you would need to be at as a company yourself before you could go and start developing, you know, sort of some of these early products at a, at a meaningful scale where they would actually then go on and be sold to customers. How far along do you need to get? How much, how much scale do you need to build in to your capacity? Well, right now, our capacity is based on outsourced manufacturing. Uh, we have third-party companies who are already producing um, similar yarns to what um, we've engineered. And so we're very uh, quickly able to spin up that capacity. Um, in fact, we're looking at producing a few tons of material toward the end of the year. Um, and then... Uh, we've been talking with each of our partners um, about capacity for next year in the range um, between 10 and 30 tons, depending on the specific uh, supplier and application of their material. Um, so at, at that point, we can do um, some of these larger scale, um, you know, first projects in the market. Uh, the key for us is making sure that we're able to maintain um, a cost that is below carbon fiber. Uh, right now that's selling for um, approximately um, 30 euros per kilogram. Um, we expect our material to cost um, between 15 and 20-ish um, euros per kilo as we enter the market. And then as we achieve scale and are able to industrialize um, uh, additional fiber sources, we expect to see those prices come down. 
And as those prices come down, how do you see kind of your option starting to play into other markets as well that may be lower cost or less high-end luxury? Jillian, do you yeah, want so, to? So we, we certainly, as you as you say, as we get to volume, um, we, we anticipate those costs coming down. And uh, really, uh, the, the next big markets for us will be um, automotive and, and wind power, um, very likely. So automotive is by far the biggest um, consumer of these types of materials, um, sort of, you know, in, in terms of industries. Um, and so that's certainly a place that, that we'll be looking to go in, and obviously, yeah, very, very cost sensitive. <laughs> so. Very cost sensitive, especially, yeah. especially these days. Yes, absolutely. Especially yes. with it looking like Elon may be going to jail, but that's a whole uh, <laughs> that's a whole another can of worms. Um, to keeping things on the keeping things on the climate and positive side, how did you two come together? What's the story? Why are you guys doing this? I, I get. I'm going to let Lance kick that one off. So I have worked um, for the last 25 years in um, sporting equipment innovation and development. And um, I moved to France six years ago to run a research and development team uh, for the Rossignol Group. Um, after about 18 months, um, you know, I had been there, I had seen all of the kind of waste that is generated in producing skis. I'd worked in the cycling industry for many years. And so I'd seen all of the waste and impact of those materials. And um, in looking at the broader application of composites and the ability to have a significant impact myself on, um, again, these mountain environments that where we live and, and where we really, um, you know, spend all of our time and, and a place that's a passion for us, um, I decided that was my way that I could contribute. And so I left Rosignol to start working on this project. And after a few months, uh, a friend of mine said, I know this wonderful woman from a business group that I'm a part of. Um, she is uh, leaving her um, startup that um, was, was acquired. And, um, you know, I'd really like to introduce the two of you. And so we got together and um, had a very complementary um, skill set, um, me coming very much from the technical and product side and Jillian coming from the pretty much everything else side. Um, so, uh, you know, it was just a, a connection through a friend. Not a bad way to do it. Absolutely. Maybe I can add one more question on top of that. Um, as you scale to the next stage and you continue to kind of evolve your uh, your product, what are some of the big um, team skills that you think you need to add um, as you scale? Where are you? Where do you feel your? I won't say deficiencies, but where do you feel you could really be strengthened that would help you get to that next next uh, next stage? Uh, so, so there are a few areas that that we'll be looking to build out. In addition to kind of that, you know, building out the engineering team and what have you, um, we're we're very much focused right now on founder-led sales. Um, but that's a you know an expertise that we'll be looking um, looking to develop more, um, you know, over the next twelve months or so. 
Um, then secondly would be um, the machine learning um, capability. So we have quite a clear understanding based on um, the materials development, where we want that platform to go, but in terms of actually being able to um, implement and execute, you know, and needing that, that technical expertise to do it, um, that's definitely an area that we'll be building out. Um, and as we look to the future, you know, there are decisions to be made on um, whether we continue to outsource production um, or what the best model for that is. Um, and as we look to do that, we'll certainly be looking at potentially bringing on um, somebody who might have more experience in, in industrialization and, and running manufacturing. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I want to I wanna keep the program moving to make sure that everybody gets a chance to pitch. But thanks for sharing. Super interesting. And as, as we're talking about engineering challenges and hard hardware, now, how about we kick things over to Nick with Carbo Miner? They certainly have uh, they certainly have their work spread out for them. Nick, you want to share what you guys are doing? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I would share my screen, and here we are. Can you see it now? Looking good. Take it away. Your five minutes starts now. Very good. Uh, okay. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Nick. I'm a serial entrepreneur from Kiev, Ukraine. Now I lead the Carbominer project. Uh, meet Joe. He's young and ambitious. After graduation a few years ago, he decided to help his grandpa to work in a mid-sized strawberry greenhouse near Stockholm, Sweden. However, recently they have got a problem. Like all plants, strawberries grow by taking carbon dioxide out of the air. A greenhouse is a closed system, which means plants consume the CO2 available inside in about a couple of hours. If extra CO2 is not provided, the strawberries stop growing. So Joe's grandpa does what all greenhouse owners do. He pumps in extra CO2. Where does this CO2 come from? It comes from burning natural gas grandpa uses for greenhouse heating. As a byproduct of burning, this CO2 is free, absolutely free but it's no longer so free. For instance, in Sweden, in the last 15 years, the tax on CO2 emissions has gone up six times. Plus the price of natural gas has skyrocketed this last year. Using natural gas to heat greenhouses and get the CO2 for injection is no longer an option. Uh, of course, greenhouses can be heated using renewable electricity, but with such a switch, Joe will not have the source of carbon dioxide. Carbominer can help. We have developed a new technology for direct air capture, a very efficient one, because we created it with an ability to use intermittent renewable electricity. No one from our competitors was able to do the same. How did we do it? We divided our capturing uh, system in two parts. One part for capturing has a low power consumption and could be running 24 seven. The other part for a generation of carbon dioxide is more energy intensive. So it will be switched on only during hours when renewable electricity is overproduced and therefore cheap, very cheap, close to zero, or even negative, believe me or not, negative price for renewable electricity is already happening in some countries. So our business model is about selling the locally captured CO2 to greenhouse operators. We have a target price of 160 euros per ton and we plan to reach our capture cost as low as 90 euros per ton in five years. 
we expect our sales to reach 36 million euro in 2027. We know that we are not alone in a hot place of direct air capture. We can beat the competition because of two things. A mix of dry and wet capture approaches in one system and our electrochemistry based regeneration technology, which has the best potential for further cost reduction. To do so, we have small but very good team, innovative and able to move forward fast. So in less than three years, we have developed new and efficient technology for direct air capture. We have built a working duck machine and we have tested it in a pilot with an international partner in December. We have found a competent and interested company which can help us with manufacturing. Now we need to expand the team, to build a full-scale system and validate it next year, and to create our first production facility in Eastern Poland. We are going to start sales in EU in 2025 and plan to get to break even in uh, 2026. To achieve this, we are raising one and a half million US dollars uh, in this summer. With us, carbon dioxide in the air is no longer a dangerous waste. Instead, it is a valuable feedstock for the agriculture, valuable for Joe and his strawberries, valuable for many other use cases. Thank you. And and thank you for sharing. Let me pull myself back and the other uh, the other panelists back in here. And while we're while we are doing that, um, quick question for you. So the business model then is purely selling the carbon back to the the greenhouses. How do you plan to scale up the the sales side of that? How do you plan to get more greenhouses on board quickly? Uh, this industry is quite a conservative one. From our contacts with uh, for for customer development, we have learned that many of them are sort of happy with uh, what they have, and uh, well, it's an interesting trick. But uh, we are going to use uh, a homemade uh, IoT system, which we made for uh, ourselves to. Uh, monitor remotely the work of our geographically distributed machine. So we, re we recognize that the same, absolutely the same system, the same CO2 sensor and the cloud solution works for uh, greenhouse owners. So we want to use it as a door opener. Uh, we will provide this cheap uh, solution and a subscription for using the services to use our smartphones, uh, day smartphones, to see the microclimate inside the greenhouse. And thus, they will know us. Carbominer will become small, but already a provider. It will be easier for us to reach out for them with our core business later. Are they already paying for those type of solutions today to monitor uh, the, the microclimate? Yeah, the industrial greenhouses, I would say five hectare and more, they always have this uh, microclimate uh, monitoring or controlling solution in place, but those solutions are quite expensive. I would say, well, three grants, maybe five grants just to, to, to have the equipment and install it in the greenhouse. Our solution is just a sensor. This is the, the real one. This is Bluetooth based device. Uh, we have developed everything starting from PCB and electronics, and uh, you can put it uh, on the wall in the greenhouse the data 
through the uh, gateway will go to the cloud and then the owner of the greenhouse will see it on the smartphone. Oh, so that's. So you have two products and two businesses then? Oh, well, no, no, no. We don't want <laughs> to be considered that second option as a second business. Maybe this is a secondary revenue stream. Maybe we can reach that secondary revenue stream faster than the core one, than the main one. Go for it, Charlie. Um, yeah, thank you for the presentation. Uh, uh, my question is, is how much does the, the capturing module uh, cost for your, for your clients and, and uh, how, much, how much and what do they do today? Uh, I understand it, it's more a traditional business. You talk about friction uh, for them to, um, to buy the, the capturing model uh, or not. And um, yes. Uh, okay. Uh, our business model is not about selling the hardware because it would be substantial financial investment, the, the capex of the module for the greenhouse owners. And frankly speaking, uh, last year and this year are not very good years for, for the industry. They are sort of, you know, sort of in, in troubles uh, uh, because of many issues. Uh, and uh, uh, we do believe that our model could be treated as CO2 as a service. We deliver our compact and transportable machine and install it nearby the greenhouse. We connect it to the power and we connect using just the flexified the uh, CO2 output or to the greenhouse. And any How much does it cost you then? How much does it cost you then? The I, didn't, I didn't get the question. How much does it cost you, the, the module and, and the implementation? Uh, what is the cost for us? Yes. Yeah, well, we have only one machine built. Uh, it is small experimental machine, just one ton per year. It was crazy expensive in the range of uh, 10 to 11,000 US dollars. But the module for industrial scale, which will be in the uh, standard form factor of the shipping container, will be for 50 ton, five zero. Uh, per year of carbon dioxide, and it, the cost for us will be starting from seventy thousand uh, US dollars, and then I hope that in less than in in less than eighteen months we can uh, get it down to forty uh, k to forty grams. I have a question, if that's okay, Nick. Um, so uh, you mentioned during your pitch that. The, um, the kinds of uh, areas or geographical areas that you were looking to target uh, had to have access to very low cost renewable electricity in order for the kind of the economics to work and presumably for the, um, the, the, there to be you know, a good kind of CO2 impact story. So my question is really kind of twofold. <laughs> One is you know, how, how big is that market opportunity? Have you done kind of a global geographical assessment to really understand where your system can be deployed first and how, how big that market is? And then subsequently, how big is the impact potential of your technology? How much, you know, tons of CO2 per year can you reduce um, from entering or from, from being produced um, using traditional methods based on your technology? Have you done that kind of assessment? Uh, yeah, we have tried. Uh, 
the uh, we know what is uh, uh, LCA is about, and uh, uh, it's uh, it, 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 there were two attempts in two different acceleration programs to do the the LCA. We know all the steps, uh, but the biggest issue uh, is in what you actually uh, already mentioned uh, when uh, you said that the ge geography of working it is next to impossible to find to find in advance the information about the carbon footprint of the local mix of the electricity in munich in spain uh, close to solar farm close to wind farm and the even the the, the the even the mix itself is a challenge but for us because the uh, idea i already mentioned that we are uh, going to use not average price of the renewable electricity for the whole day but the lowest price because of the during the hours when it is overproduced so nobody nobody on the planet can provide the information of carbon footprint hourly locally and hourly by hours so uh, this would be a challenge from the other hand uh, it's easy to comment because uh, with this business model, working for greenhouses, we are not about uh, sort of earning carbon carbon removal credits. It's not eligible because what they need, they need a permanent storage. And storing carbon dioxide into the biomass of the plants uh, is not permanent. It's like for a couple of months, for three months, not not more. Uh, what we uh, what we are doing for 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 the impact is to fold for greenhouse owners we help them to decarbonize their business because if they can stop burning fossil fuels for um, heating they can improve their carbon footprint they will be using renewable electricity for heating and using carbon dioxide for us and if we just jump for other another opportunity uh, for doing uh, impact uh, this is about more traditional ways. Um, the pilot uh, I told you uh, during the pitch and uh, our coming second pilot in Austria, I hope next month in Vienna, uh, those pilots are not with greenhouses. It just happened that they are with construction comp companies. So those companies have a, a great interest and appetite for uh, duck solution, direct air capture solutions, and they do have that interest because of the need for decarbonize their business. For example, the idea of that uh, large construction company is to test the equipment and then to move uh, to order next scale machine and uh, ask us to deliver it to Munich where they have the geothermal well already have that. That's another uh, project of them. And they will be pumping, car mixing carbon dioxide with the water uh, they uh, and uh, they send the water down to obtain the, the heat, uh, the thermal energy, the heating uh, from this geothermal well. This is eligible because carbon dioxide will be mineralized down there. And for us, it is additional opportunity well, to our formal greenhouse related business model. We understand that the carbon removal market is really could be really big and growing quickly. So this year, uh, we applied for the frontier with the short application, and I hope they would allow us to apply in full, maybe next month. 
Well, I mean, I mean, you have to be very net positive impact wise because you're essentially helping capture carbon that would otherwise need to be burned to make carbon for the greenhouses. So if you assume that natural uh, re renewable energy is getting greener over time, you guys are getting greener over time and your impact is going to be very large. This is one of the ones where I say, let's just do the back of the envelope math. Who cares what the numbers are? As long as it's a very significant positive forward progress, then as you guys get big and large, you decarbonize in a very large way, regardless of if it's a hundred megatons or a million, uh, a, bill, a, a gigaton, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, uh, I would say that uh, we we have not yet seen uh, looked so far. Uh, our business plan for greenhouse market calls that uh, within five years, the total amount uh, of uh, five years of operations the total amount of carbon dioxide captured would be just two megatons. Uh, and for that, because we have compact units, we have to uh, operate, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, three or three and a half thousand of our container sized uh, units. And uh, well, for now, this is more or less like traditional business. We want to obtain a feedstock, a valuable feedstock and uh, sell it and not thinking about about gigatons. Mm -hmm. David, you got any questions? I had a question, but, uh, but maybe Riley uh, can jump in and, and uh, yeah. ask his question. For sure. Yeah, thanks for running through this, Nick. Um, appreciate it. Uh, one quick comment and then, and then a question. So comment, I think you heard from, from a couple of the folks here, just questions around the financials. Um, and, and my additional comment there is it feels like a $1.5 million seed round feels small relative to, to building hardware and scaling this up. Um, so maybe just something to think about in your presentation to double down on, on some of the metrics, financials, and, and the funding piece. Uh, just just to make sure it's clear. And I know you only have five minutes, so it's it's tough to squeeze it all in. But one comment there. And then the question is really a little bit more about you and the the team. I know you mentioned you're you're a serial entrepreneur and the team small but mighty. Uh, but just curious, you know, similar to what Matt asked previously about what brought you into this, what brought you guys together, and why you want to commit your your time and energy to this. Uh, uh, this is a family story. My daughter Victoria, my middle daughter, Victoria, I have three daughters and two sons. Uh, she's with me on Carbominer. Four years ago, the, uh, the idea just popped uh, into my head during the family discussion. My uh, youngest daughter, Sophia, she was three at the time, she was sick and family doctor was paying uh, the visit to, to our apartment. And you know, word by word, somehow I asked the doctor, how come that it looks like the health of our kids is, is not so good as it was our health at that age. And the same with us, our health is not so good as the health of our parents was. Uh, uh, I thought this is a stupid question, but the, the doctor, uh, she said, well, yes, there are scientific articles about uh, such a phenomenon and there are some guesses. I said, what are the reasons for, for that? Uh, she said, who knows, maybe this is ecology, maybe this is the rising carbon dioxide level in the atmosphere, nobody knows for sure. And you know, being the engineer by education, I immediately reacted, well, if it is about carbon dioxide, why don't we put uh, the machine for capturing carbon dioxide in the corner of our bedroom and everything will be solved. My idea was, you know, it's, it's not a new question for space stations crews and for submarine crews, 
this question of you know capturing carbon dioxide uh, and regeneration uh, was solved decades ago. Uh, and my wife immediately said, so what shall we keep our kids inside all the time? And that was for me, you know, starting to think what is going on out, out of the window outside. That was the idea. We paid our first visit in one month to a big industrial greenhouse nearby Kiev. It just happened so that I knew them before Carbominer. They were a client of my previous business. And they listened to us. They said, well, nice idea, very interesting idea. And when you have something, please come back. So it looks like maybe next year I can come back. Not so fast. Thank you. Awesome, thanks. Any last questions for Nick, guys? Then thanks, Nick, for thanks, Nick, for presenting. Thanks for for what you guys are doing. It's super, super meaningful. Um, just a quick reminder: this is all brought to you guys by Forward VC. Uh, our, we've got our partner in Climb Climate Accelerator. If you're looking to accelerate your climate company pre-seed to pre-Series A and really want to get some traction with customers, clients, pilots, and get that TRL up to your nine and some real revenue coming in, check us out. Forward.vc. Now, uh, moving things on, let's. Uh, Let's grab some coffee with Marcin. How about EcoBean? You wanna you wanna take it away, Marcin? You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Thank you for having us here. Absolutely. Let me know when you're ready to share what you're doing on uh yeah, some pretty some pretty me, interesting stuff with coffee waste. Let me share the screen with you. Can you see it? Looking good. Take it away. Can I move it? Just a quick okay good evening guys the reason i'm sitting here is because all of my professional life last 15 years i'm connecting two different words the science and business and ecobin is a great proof that this is possible we are a spin-off company from Warsaw university of technology and we turn coffee into green chemicals can you imagine the enormous volumes of coffee waste that goes to the landfill that's a lot of spent coffee grounds over 3.3 million tons in europe every year and three more things you probably don't know coffee is the fifth highest co2 intensive food behind beef pork cheese and chocolate only two percent of value of bean is used when you drink your coffee and there is no transparency in disposal of coffee waste but pressure to change it that is growing Take to Time to talk numbers. How much is that biomass worth? So that over 3 million tons equal to 20 billion euros wasted every year. Ecobin is able to extract from each ton of coffee grants at least 6,000 euro revenue in chemical compounds. What that means we can turn waste into money, but it's not only about the waste. It's also about the impact. So our chemicals have on average 35% lower footprint than market alternatives. LCA is verified by leading bodies and it also has a great monetization potential in Canberra credits. We want to decarbonize coffee industry by offsetting 1.2 million tons of CO2 yearly after 2027. How it works? 
So Ecobin has achieved a proven circular ecosystem for spent coffee grounds. Thanks to cooperation with GLS, carrier company, the biggest provider in Europe, we can collect waste from all Horeca and offices and also instant coffee producers. All this waste is transported to our facility. Where is the magic? In one sequential chemical and biotechnological process, we produce five raw materials, coffee oil, antioxidants, PLA, protein additives, and the coffee lignin. Zero waste behind, low carbon alternatives dedicated into various industries, from petrochemical, packaging, food, cosmetic, even to pharma. Sound cosmic? Many brands, leader in the infields, already believe in us and we saw our potential. We constantly increase number of our clients on both sides, so input and offtake. What makes us different? R&D is our heart. Thanks strong ties with Wood. We own three patents, two more to come this year. 70 people day by day works on advancing our technology, which is already proven by Czech, our investors, multi-billion euro chemical company. What is next crucial step? We are raising 7 million euros to finance Ecobin Technology Center, our demo line, which will be springboard to achieve industrial scale. ETC already will be financially sustainable. And we are mimicking best practices from other industries like battery industry when it comes to scaling hardware business. And that's just the beginning. So in parallel, we work on an industrial scale facilities. First one is planned in Germany and second one in Finland. We want to build up to seven bioraffineries in the next five years. How we are able to scale Ecobin into a global business? We are super proud of our deep partnerships with investors which complement competencies and skills we lack. This allows us to seriously focusing on becoming biggest coffee recycle. Who stands behind this idea? We have a stellar team, 25 people on board right now. We are very experienced in various fields, starting from biotechnology, chemistry, engineering, surrounded by coffee business, XVC, and new product development guys. Why you should invest in Ecobin? Ecobin is like Yeti. No one has seen him yet, but he eats two unicorns on for breakfast. Thank you and see you. That's a very creative one. I certainly haven't heard anything like that before. Thanks for thanks for presenting, Marcin. I'm pulling the other investors in now. Um, so are the are the two opportunities then both the same company? So you're racing for this ETC center. Are, is that then owned by uh, the Ecobean kind of main corporate? Uh, no, that will be owned by that will be owned by Ecobin. So we are that that will be the our R and D center. So we let's as I said, we mimicking the let's say battery battery approach. So like Tesla of Norvolt, they have their own. They starting with the rather small first industrial scale facility when all the uh, advances in in technology is in implement to the uh, to the industrial scales. Every every year or every every, every um, upgrade. Are, are you raising equity or debt? Seven million is a lot for kind of where you're at. If it's not uh, some debt, for that, uh, yeah, yeah, it's main. It's mainly equity. Yeah, of course, we are applying for different, uh, for 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 different sources, but uh, we are prepared for that. How much more capital will you need to commercialize? Um, uh, that the, the next step is, uh, around 30 to 40 million euros, the, the industrial scale that will be 20,000 tons, uh, <laughs> of spent coffee grounds per year. 
And, and you, you've got four founders. Are you worried at all about the founder dilution and getting really small ownership at some point? Uh, yeah, we uh, we treat it like that way. We have, This is the hardware business. Uh, we need a lot of CapEx, but we think this this round, it will be the last round in, in case of equity. The industrial case, it will be possible to the project finance. So we're thinking that way. So, um, yeah. Okay. Just, just jump in, guys, when you got questions. Yeah, and just to, to build off that, um, if you can talk a little bit more about the economics, even of this first facility, the $7 million facility that you guys are working on now. I know you had this slide with several different byproducts and different revenue streams, but just would love to understand the financials there a little bit more. Okay. So the, uh, let's say, three, three streams of the incomes to our company. The, the first one, uh, for, for these days, where there is no uh, um, competition on the market regarding the, uh, the biomass. So the, our customers are paying now, right now for the collection. So uh, we achieve, uh, we're earning on waste collection. Uh, the second stream, very important, and let's say hard margin, the average margin on that is 45, around 45%. We are delivering, we are supplying the uh, green chemicals alternative for the existing ones uh, to the market. So we, we do not create something completely new. The, the market for this uh, chemical compounds already exist. We gave alternative with the lower carbon footprint. Uh, and uh, and uh, and the fourth, uh, the third one for the for the future, closely to the future, is the monetization, the, the the carbonization offset. Uh, we already have the proven uh, LCA model with Bureau Veritas, so the leading body in this on this field. Uh, so it's uh, it's possible for for that moment. We are sure that transforming one kilogram of coffee waste, we are able to save at least two and a half kilograms of uh, CO two. So that's the huge, huge advantage for the coffee, for the coffee business, which is yeah, CO two extensive. Just to understand the stage, uh, the stage of the business. Um, first is, is uh, you're talking about a plant. I know that most companies, uh, before reaching that stage, uh, they monetize a little earlier on, on the value chain. And so, how are you gonna, how are you monetizing if you're gonna monetize this? Uh, with yeah, retailers, right now, for example, if you have a cost and logistical cost, uh, that would be like the first part of my question. And 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 the second question would be if, if there's already an ecosystem of plants existing, why why don't you want to partner with existing plants if if an ecosystem already exists or or you really have to build that yourself? I'm just asking, given that the the, the high capital requirement that this entails. Okay, so if I may, I will I will start with the second one. Um, there is no such a solution, uh, and there is no such a um, facilities to rent to to share uh, in case of all of our process uh, is sequential and a go and ongoing process, and we need to. There is no such a uh, let's say out of shelf, out of the box uh, equipment which we uh, which we can take and uh, uh, apply in our in our facilities. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's a, li a little bit hard right now, uh, regarding the first question, we are in the scale, we call it, um, um, it's semi, semi-technical scale. We have the real apparatus, real, uh, equipment, steel equipment, uh, steel reactors in the Warsaw University of Technology. So we are, uh, right now we are processing all, all of these compounds. We are producing this series, series of batches. 
we are in with those various clients we are in the in a process of validation of uh, of this of, of this chemical compounds to uh, to they in the future become our off takers when we have get the scale because the etc um, production demo line our let's say our let's call it our demo facility have the um, will have the capacity 1000 tons per year and that will be our R&D center or our, of course, our training center for future engineers in the industrial scale. And then you plan to sell the sell the chemicals yourself or license the technology out? Um, for sure, the first two uh, bioraffiners, industrial uh, raffiners, will be selling ourselves, and then we will see. Why do you want to sell it yourself versus license it? Just devil's advocate? Um. Let's say our goal is to the, um, have the highest valuation. I think that's the building the um, the valuation of the company. I have a, a question, uh, if you don't mind. So I enjoyed the pitch. A lot to take in in a, in a short time. I'm sure that there's sort of we could dig into any one of the aspects and, and you know, get a, get a much fuller story. But um, my question is is really around some of the kind of the supply chain and logistics. I noticed, so, so GLS is a supply chain company, is that correct? And yeah. are they mostly focused on connecting kind of the coffee waste producers with you with you as the kind of the, the processor, is that right? Or are they also involved in helping you kind of distribute the the, the the products that you're um, producing at the at the other end uh, no only they are only supporting us let's say in the waste collection because okay. we're using shared logistic so this is the special kind of service we are the I think that's the, that's that's the true we are only the first uh, startup in Europe they decide to transporting the waste so okay. they, they, they convinced the board convinced the board it was it wasn't uh, no easy in a German level uh so uh yeah uh, okay so so my, my subsequent question is you know uh, knowing that then you know see a lot of companies that do this sort of biomass type valorization you know waste to value type thing a lot of them have a lot of challenges and and uh, a lot of hurdles to overcome when they're just making one product at the other end and getting into the market and finding an off taker and convincing them that, that their product is of a quality and cost that's beneficial. You had like seven or eight, um, you know, from polyphenols to lignin to all these kind of things. How are you going to manage that from it, when it comes to an offtake and a, and a distribution point of view? Because to me, that seems like a lot of work. Uh, but yes, of, of course. Uh, uh, thank you for that question. And that's, that's why we, let's say, I, uh, I present you the, this slide with the puzzles that we are having around us are uh, the um, best best companies uh, we are attracting to work with us, the best companies, which are their uh, best in class uh, and they deliver and they fulfill the lacks uh, and the competences we, don't, we do not have. And uh, having on board such a company like Czech, we we can we, I can say probably you, you you may know but this is the the one of the biggest C chemical company we call it, it Polish BSF so having those guys on on as a support they are already interested in three three of five products we have on uh, then why not license it because you guys will never be able to sell it all on your own. 
selling such a selling such a commodity is uh, uh, it's not it's not so hard. Uh, it's because we do not create something. We we do not have to create the market for them. So we're giving the there is a there is a market for this. There is a price you can uh, you can buy it on the on the commodity price, and we can offer let's say even five five cents lower and forty and forty five lower carbon credits, and that's it. So we need to send the we need to send an offer. We need to send a sample of batches, and it's not a, uh, bringing something new and creating the new opportunity for customers. So. Uh, I'm working but, in but that's uh, like that's like that's like raising cows and having a having a um raising a wood that you're going to sell for forestry and also trading gold and also trading trading corn you're trading like five different commodities to like five five different players it just seems it seems challenging initially like what's your initial market the other ones have to be later things because otherwise you'll just drown uh yes of course it, it will if we it will be possible we will do that way because uh, but our technology and our know-how you cannot choose let's say the pla which is in the middle because you don't, you, you can extract or achieve this before uh, extracting the coffee oil and uh, and the antioxidants uh, we are achieving so regarding the all the carbon footprint and offsetting the uh, all the coffee industry which is a co2 very co2 in intensive and which we can with those application of those products which regarding the pla lignin you can imagine we can oh, that's the that's the example that's the that's the flower pot make 100% from the coffee waste it's the the same specification and as, as a plastic one it's totally biodegradable in three months in soil so uh this is create from the this is create from the two things that our pla and lignin we have that's the uh th that's the story behind we want to stop at the level of supplier and uh supply existing producer of final application uh, and we already have let's say uh, such a model when our client, our existing customers, Starbucks, uh, we're working with them on the, it's, we call it infinity straw. So that's the straw made of our lignin. And when we achieve it and we need proof that it works and it can be alternative for the paper one, we're going with them to their existing uh, supplier of the straws and saying we want to change it for the uh, from the for the different material which we are already will be using and supplying us with the biomass and having such a and turning back something real and sustainable into market to our customers. And any other questions, folks? Maybe just one quick one, if, if that's all right, because you mentioned at one point that this is a zero waste process. Uh, how are you going about this extraction of these chemicals from a technical point of view then with zero waste? Are that you not using any solvents? Is there any yeah, acid-based chemistry or anything like that? What's... Yeah, we're using yeah. solvents. We're using solvents in, in a closed loop. So we're using... Uh, uh, Mm, solvents like uh, uh, methanol, we're using ionic liquids, which which work in closed loop, and all uh, additions which are put into the process. So kind of enzy enzymes or any any different 
uh, things ends up in the in the final products in our raw materials. So uh, let's say from one on one on one ton of uh, from one ton of spent coffee grounds, we are achieving uh, more than one and a half ton of uh, ready products. Okay, thanks. Awesome. Then thanks for pitching, Marcin. I still, uh, I, st much. I still think you're biting off a very large elephant at once, but that's uh, that's on you to to figure out and make it happen. It's it's really easy to let's explain it in five minutes, but it was it was a great pleasure. No, no, you did a you did a great job, and I wanna I wanna hand things over now to our uh, our last company of the night, Nova Spikes, who's uh, doing a little bit something different with uh, electric motorbikes and uh, a pretty cool new design. Hannes, you wanna you wanna share what you guys are doing? Yes, for sure. Give me just a second. We're going to prepare the presentation. Sounds good. So. Standing desk? Yeah, for sure. It's the way to do for it. More, for more volume in the, um, in the voice. Mm -hmm. So just a second. And if you guys are listening to this and trying to fundraise, we've got our 900 plus climate VC and accelerator database, just forward.vc slash VC database. And if you haven't joined Climate Techies, we've got 2000 plus climate investors, founders, folks in there all across Slack and WhatsApp, just forward.vc slash techies for more details and to join. So can you see the presentation or should I Look, go in the presentation mode? Looking good. Yeah, take it away. Okay, awesome. Yeah, let's start. Um, yeah, uh, to uh, welcome on everybody. Uh, I'm Hans. Um, I'm the COO of Novus. And imagine uh, in last year, only 95, uh, only 4% of motorbikes were electrified. And what you see here is that the tipping point of e-cars that happened in 2018, where the numbers doubled up each year, happens now in the motorbike uh, in the motorbike industry. And what we see is that the OEMs, the big companies, don't position themselves. They are waiting. They are waiting the same as 2018, and they they lose the traction because they are waiting and don't be the first mover. We want to be one of the first movers. We want to. Um, inspire on the whole industry to change to, an, uh, to electric motorbikes. That's why we built Novos, the first urban premium electric motorbike. Our customers are looking for a contemporary mobility. So a mobility that is 2030 and 2023, a mobility that fits to their, to their needs, to their demands, because there are people, they were, for example, an aura ring, but not a conventional ring, or they were an Apple watch, but not an, uh, normal, uh, a normal watch. And that's what, we, what, that's what we offer. And our bike compared to the market is definitely faster and much smarter. So we have, for example, just a few numbers, just 100 kilograms, 400 newton meters on the back wheel, uh, 1.9 seconds to 50. That's in the. Uh, that's one of the fastest things you can drive in the uh, in the city. But what's much more important is how digital Novos is. We build a whole digital ecosystem around Novos, 
For example, we, um, we track all the vehicle data. We have an OEM data analysis system in the background. We offer, for example, partners of us fleet management systems, but also for our, uh, for our future business models. And we have a huge ecosystem and marketplace uh, in future for our customers, for the, for the user app. So you can, uh, you can handle everything from Novos with the app. For example, keyless go, um, paid systems to upgrade the motorbike, remote control or over the air updates. With Novos, we, we tackle at the first step at the market entry, the largest bike sector. What means the largest bike sector? It's the 125 cubic centimeter cars. At this sector, that's the especially positioned in the urban mobility, and that's one of the largest classes of motorbikes worldwide. And what we can do with our digital, uh, digital intelligence, we can start with just a 50 cubic centimeter by, um, by digital limitations to offer everybody with a car license a Novos bike, and after they did their um, their motorbike license, but the small one, they can upgrade by over-the-air updates uh, to 125 cubic centimeters. We call our target group the contemporary urban people, and we have three different target groups we target first. There are high network individuals that want to buy a Novos because they love it, because they love the emotion they, they, they get with the power, the performance, but also with the unique design. And we target on the bikers, but just with 20%, because our first product offers us the, um, or, or helps us to, to reach a total new um, target group. We call them digital generations. That are people that can't imagine to drive uh, to drive a motorbike before, because for them, uh, motorbikes were um, were, for example, um, like um, how it's called, um, uh, like um, how can I can I say it? It's steam engines on two wheels, and they love the lean design. They love the light agility. They love the digital product that offers that we offer with Novos, and that's a total new, um, total new target group we can uh, we can target uh, in the motorbike market. Uh, in the position, we are one of the only premium motorbikes, especially in the urban mobility. And there is already a price awareness for these kind of products because compared to other to other motorbikes, we are, uh, we are not one of the uh, one of the most expensive. But we combine a higher one minute high performance in the lower class with an with a price that, that there is already a price awareness for. Our business uh, model is based on three on three plus. D2C, B2C, and B2B2C. What means B2B2C? B2B2C, that's, um, that, that's based on a mega trend that's called vehicle as a service. And especially here, we see, we see um, a comp comp um, compound annual growth rate of 35% uh, to uh, 2032. And with our product strategy, so we start with a limited product. We start with a high price product, with a premium product uh, to target, uh, to build a brand, to be cost efficient. And later on, we build new products. Time um, is up. Oh, it's already up. Okay. Where, um, where, are you, yeah. where are you guys at today? How, what stage are you at? How much are you guys raising? What are you looking for? So what we are looking for, um, we are looking for 5 million. Um, five million. That's an uh, that's an late seed funding. So that's the first external funding round we do uh, on a on a valuation of eighteen million, because the founder Rene um, did the first investments on himself, and the the team 
we have is very strong in the automotive industry. So Rene was seven years a research and development at Volkswagen and already uh, and also did the design of the um, of the Volkswagen uh, Golf 8, for example, but also of the ID bus that's uh, that's released a few weeks ago. He did the interior design. And uh, we have a huge, uh, we have a team of, sef- uh, of seven, uh, 17 people. They are all from the automotive industry and from related industries uh, in the market. Why do you think that you guys can do this when it is such a big and hairy problem to crack a new, not a new car company, but a new motorcycle company? Um, that's a very good question. Um, to, to, to be honest, nobody can say he can build a total new brand without problems. But you need people with experience, of course. You need people with passion and you need uh, people and a team um, that, that are... Um, that, that have the power to, um, uh, to, to tackle challenges. Um, for example, René did um, the whole prototyping 12 years beside his full-time job at VW. He did the, he did the, uh, the design uh, in, his, in his studies. And then afterwards, 10 years, he built, for example, just a prototype with a lean process in his, uh, in his, uh, in his bedroom. Um, he, did, uh, he did everything at home 10 years long during he was one of the one of the most successful interior designer at Volkswagen. If he could if he could do it twelve years ago, what? Why now? Generally, one of the questions we have is, why now? That's why good, not two or three years ago? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, he started doing it full time and in, in, in form of a company two thousand nineteen. Uh, two thousand nineteen, he uh, during he was at Volkswagen. He said to his uh, to his friend Marcus. Um, hey, let's go with our design to the CES in Las Vegas. Just take holiday on Volkswagen, go to CES in Las Vegas, and then he showed the first prototype. And with his first prototype, he did. Um, he got a request from Elon Musk. Elon Musk, uh, the secretary of Elon Musk, called them the next day and said, "We want to buy your prototype." And then he declined because he said, "Okay, wow." Um, after one night of, of thinking, uh, of, of uh, doubting, uh, he said, well, when Elon Musk wants to buy um, our prototype, this needs to be something special. This needs to be something we should continue in our, uh, in, in, in our mission. And he didn't design it for changing the industry. He, he designed it for inspired industry. And now we realized the whole, the whole product, the team, the founder, all of us have the potential to change the industry. For example, we met at Hello Tomorrow conference in Paris. Uh, we met Anne Mettler. Um, Anne Mettler, um, she works for, uh, for Bill Gates, invests the, the money of Bill Gates in Europe. And she said, if there is a Tesla in the automotive industry, in the, uh, in the car industry, then there needs to be a Tesla in the, two, in the two-wheeler industry. And he did it in a, in a public post on LinkedIn and said, we have the potential to be the, 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 the Tesla of two-wheelers. <laughs> I hope that answer uh, your question a bit. Yeah, yeah. Riley, Charlie, David? For sure. Yeah, happy to jump in. I uh, appreciate the presentation. Uh, definitely a, a space that's that's evolving. A lot of these e-bikes are coming to market now. Um, space I'm passionate about. I used to actually race motorcycles. So so love to see the innovation here. Um, my, my question is really about something you mentioned in one of your slides around the B2B2C business model. You said that would be 70% of the business. 
I wonder if you can share a little bit more there. It almost seems like maybe people are renting them, but I wasn't sure who the customer was uh, and how that would actually play out. If you could share a little bit more on that. Yeah, of course, um, for sure, because that's one of the most important things, uh, how to bring a high-priced product to the uh, to the customers. Uh, we focus on, um, to, to, to make it a bit more general, we focus on two people. We focus on the people who buy the, car, uh, who buy the bike and we focus on people who rent the bike. Because what we realized uh, during our travelings through all of Europe to do test drives, to do uh, um, uh, customer interviews, we, re we realized that the people want, uh, especially the young people, don't want to buy something anymore, they want to rent. And that's where we, we realized that the, the VAS, so the vehicle as a service um, um, uh, business model could be something for us. So that's after we realized there is an, a new potential for us to reach total new, a total new target group that have never thought about uh, riding a bike. And then we did uh, the, we did customer interviews, and at the customer interviews we real, uh, we we've seen okay the people want to rent it they 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 are they are open to pay for example five hundred euros per month just to have it for a season, but they don't want to to buy it anymore. So we have two two target groups: high net worth individuals and the electrified bikers who buy the bike, and the digital uh, the digital generations who. Um, uh, who who rent the bike? And what we do, we did after uh, after the um, the interviews, we talk to the industry, we talk to the um, to the subscription industry, we talk to Finn, uh, we talk to Weebler Car, uh, like to drive, Fleet uh, Fleet Pool, and so on, and uh, find out how how the digital uh, how this um, this business model works, and is it an option for us to do it on ourselves? Or to work together with the uh, with existing platforms. That's one of the next steps we we're gonna find out in the next weeks. Got it. Awesome. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be learned from the e-scooter space, both uh, benefits and and some negatives. Uh, a lot of companies in that space have moved to subscriptions to to varying levels of success. So um, maybe maybe some of that will play out in this industry as well. But I think it's a, a smart business model to try. And what I what I want to share with you is, on the one hand, um, the market potential of electric motorbikes. So there is a com uh, compound annual growth rate of about twenty percent global and about thirty percent in Europe in the next years. So that shows um, how huge our market is. But in addition, we tackle a total new target group, and that that are the digital generations. And uh, on this, the um, and the the K uh, CHER of VAS is much higher than the CAGR of electric motorbikes. So we um, we think, and that's what we're going to find out in the next month, that we can combine uh, both potentials. Maybe I can follow on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Matt. I was going to say, even if vehicle ownership is declining and lots of young people don't want to get a license. Uh, uh, sorry, could you repeat it? I was going to say, even as vehicle ownership is declining steadily and most people or lots of people are deciding not to get a license. Um, uh, yes, uh, because um, for sure they, they don't decide to buy um, cars or motorbikes anymore, but um, but they, they're going to uh, they're going to use, for example, sharing. They're going to use subscription models and therefore they need a license. But the license will be for for our product at the first point uh, for, for the first step uh, lower. The, the entry level of, of the license will be lower because you can do, for example, if you have already a car license, you did, you did it with 18, if you are from a suburban region, 
you need a car license because uh, because the, the the transport system is not uh, prepared for uh, for outer urban mobility. So um, in in the urban regions, of course, Vienna. Uh, Paris, you don't need an, a license anymore, but uh, at the at the suburban areas you need it. And if you have an, uh, for example, in Germany, an sub uh, an car license, you can do uh, an A1, so the smaller motorbike license with just eight hours of practice, but without an uh, without a, a test. David, sorry for cutting you off. So yeah, no, no, no worries. I mean, I think I, my question is going to be kind of along the same theme because I I think, I mean. I always get a little bit nervous when I hear about people wanting to kind of create a new market um, or establish a product in a market that, you know, maybe the customer hasn't necessarily thought about that solution or that product before. Um, so, so kind of building off those questions around customer discovery, what, what were some of the things you heard, or maybe a better way to say, what, what were the kind of questions you were asking um, and the responses you were getting to make you so convinced that this was a market that you could convince or could get you know on board with with uh with purchasing your solution or your product so that's that's not only a, a question we ask uh, ourselves that's also a question the whole industry asks itself and there are uh, very much smarter people than me that that ask the question to to experts that ask the question to the target groups and find out that we are now at the tipping point of the electric motorbike industry so that means the the industry will double up each year because the, of course young people um prefer, for example, sharing models, young people prefer not to buy anymore, but there is still a need for especially premium mobility, especially um, in, in, the, in the lower industry. So the, the, uh, the, the lower priced industry, if you, for example, pay 2000 for a for, for scooter, uh, you think, okay, shall, shall, shall I buy 2000 for a scooter or shall, shall I buy the ticket for one year or for four years or five years uh, of the uh, urban transportation system? Um, but especially in the premium mobility, there is still a need uh, for showing that, that you care, but also for showing that you're unique. And especially the individualization uh, is, is, is a trend on the other side um, that, 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 that rises. The people want to be free. The people want to be um, uh, uh, self um, uh, they want to decide on their own what uh, what can they do um, each day, and it's, it's a bit hard to answer the question. But there are um, there the um, so we 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 focus on a market that's um, that's 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 um, already existing, but it's rising in the next years. So that's not a question if the market exists because the market exists already. For example, we have competitors in the market. Um, uh, for example, we have Cake Bike. Cakebike is one of the most successful uh, digital, uh, uh, most successful electric motorbike supplier in the market, and they sell each year more and more and more of, uh, of vehicles. Or also Zero, for example, um, they have actually a valuation of five hundred million. Uh, also, for example, Zero motorbikes from Spain, they have an uh, valuation of five hundred million. That that are companies that that target that tackle the same market, but um, but uh, they they showed that that not only the, the industry believes in the market, also the, uh, the investors believes in the market. And as I said, there are a lot of uh, much more people that are much smarter than me. Um, they did customer interviews, they did market analysis, and they, they showed us that, uh, that there are a few trends, uh, vehicle as a service, electrified motorbikes, uh, individualization in the market, 
the, the necessary and the need for premium and so on uh, that gives us the, the, um, the confidence to say that this will be we could be the, the Tesla of two wheelers, but the market can be uh, can can make a story than the electric uh, electrical markets did in 2018. Have you pre-sold any? If you want to be Tesla, why not be Tesla? Sorry. Have you pre-sold any? If you're going to go the Tesla route of, why not pre-sell <laughs> um, them? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, we we started pre-selling uh, in in the in the last month. We have reservations of 240 uh, 40 motorbikes. But um, actually, and that's what, what's one of our uh, weaknesses, we focus too much on the, on the product in the last years. We focus too much on building an, an unique and a an high-performance motorbike and a motorbike that's, uh, the, that's based on a digital ecosystem. We focus too much on that and too less on the, uh, on the market, to be honest. But that's something we're going to change now. So as I said, we, we want to raise 5 million. Um, there is a minimum 1 million for, uh, for the market entry and uh, we want to uh, to include in the, in the in the 5 million investor pool 1 million by angels so we want to include 1 million by uh, uh, we want to um, to to um, grow our ecosystem by angels that that can help us building a company like a tesla of two wheelers for example we um, we we got an uh, we got an um, an yes so so um, uh, one of our new angels and also board advisors is um, a former CEO of Audi. He was um, several years CEO of Audi and, and also bites uh, for Audi uh, Ducati, for example. So he's one of the biggest experts in the market. And he, for example, now is one of our uh, is part of our ecosystem and helps us to build a company like we want to build. What what's your big goal with this company? What where do you want it to get to? Um, so at the first at the first step, we want to uh, inspire the industry um, to the transition to electric motorbikes. Because as I said at the beginning, um, almost 95.6% in last year were, um, were combustion engine motorbikes. Um, we want to inspire the whole industry as Tesla did uh, in two. Why don't you just go to Tesla earlier. then? I mean, you would yeah. be like the perfect addition. You said he already liked the product. You don't have the sales and distribution. And it has the kind of sexy kind of appeal to it. Why not just go to them and let them add another product line? Um, that's a very good question. Uh, as we, uh, as we, um, as we uh, call, uh, had, a, um, or when we talked to Elon Musk's secretary um, in 2019, um, we asked also for uh, so so we we also discussed with them uh, why they don't build on Tesla uh, and motorbike on their own. And there is a story from Elon Musk. So he had an, an accident or he or one of his friends had an accident with motorbikes. And then he decided not to build uh, Tesla for two wheelers. But he were, um, we were, he were such impressed by our prototype so that he said he wanted to buy it for his own. Uh, not to drive, but only to, to have a look at it and to, to, have it, uh, to, to own it. And um, we, 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 want, we say Tesla two-wheelers because Tesla did what we want to do in, uh, in 2019. He inspired the whole industry and, and he forced the whole industry to change. And that's what we want to do now because now is the tipping point for, for the electric motorbikes. And to be honest, to compare with other products or other mark, uh, brands, uh, I think Lucid would be a better example because Lucid is positioned in the uh, in, in the premium sector more than Tesla is now. But what Tesla did, um, they they inspired people, they inspired a whole a whole um, uh, public 
so so, so he, he inspired the whole world to change to electric uh, to electric cars and this year and tesla was the most sold um, car or sold car worldwide so uh, that's for us a success story and hero story in transition of an of an industry but also in inspiring of of, um, of the whole world that we want to uh, that we want to run for but you don't even need him to buy it if he just invests in it and tweets it you guys sell twenty thousand motorcycles I yeah mean, so what's the cult plan? following yeah, it's 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 it, it, it's a good discussion. So uh, what we now do is we um, we we send uh, Elon Musk because we de we declined the, the request for buying uh, our prototype, but, but we then we agreed that he gets one of the first uh, series production cars uh, bikes. Uh, we start with the series production next year. So with the five million, we can sell the bikes at the middle of next year. We need about ten months for the for the homologation, and then um, and we already have an an, uh, an series prototype prototype fleet of four um, four dr uh, driving uh, motorbikes. And with the first with the first uh, um, bunch of uh, of production um, bikes, we we bring one to Elon Musk, and maybe later on he wants to invest. At the beginning, he gets one bike for his own. But if he impressed, uh, if he is impressed, and if we um, if we um, prove the the success story we we are currently talking about, uh, then he, then it's of course an option to offer Tesla uh, getting one of our uh, of our investors, not to sell the company. That's something we wouldn't do, but to uh, to uh, to uh, include them as an investor and part of our ecosystem. That's something we would do, but we won't we won't um, we won't sell the company to them. Awesome. Thanks for thanks for the the questions and the answers. Any anything else, folks? What else do you guys want to know? Yeah, maybe one quick follow up one for from me. I, I know you're you you had a slide also about the the market, and there are a handful of other companies in the space, but you really tried to focus on the digital experience. And can you give us some examples of what that would look like for a user? What are some of the things that they would get through that digital experience with your bike that they wouldn't be getting with others? Um, as, I, as I said, uh, a few, um, uh, uh, the discussion before, um, we want to include um, angels into our ecosystem. That helps us to to grow um, to grow the company, to scale the company, but also to develop our products. Um, at the beginning, we have um, a digital ecosystem that's, that's based on on several um, on several services, just in our own um, app. So we have the uh, MyNobos app for our customers. Um, they they can they have a keyless uh, keyless go. They have a geo tracking. They have a remote control. They have an integrated navigation. They have paid services to upgrade the product. Uh, they have so so many different uh, features they they get by by us. But what we want to do is we want to build a marketplace, a marketplace to um, because what what we believe is that we are not the the most smartest people on the earth. We are not the people who invent everything. We focus on the best bike. We focus on a digital ecosystem. But there are so many people that focus on one on just one thing, and this one thing could could be something that we could uh, uh, that we could include in our in our marketplace in our digital ecosystem. So there are so many so many ideas what you can do. There is, for example, an, a company in the in the in the in the in the bike market in the bike industry. Uh, they build an an, an AI, so, so an, an, an digital intelligence, 
that analyzes your driving style, that analyzes um, uh, how you can improve the performance by driving, but how you can improve the, the efficiency, for example, um, to use less uh, to use less energy. So there are so many uh, opportunities and, and functions we, we don't build on our own, but we include by our marketplace. Great, thank you. Thank you for your question. Anything else, guys? So I have time. So if you want, or we can continue. <laughs> no, all, all good. We gotta we gotta move it on to the last segment. I would say if you send one to Elon, don't don't pull an Elon and pretend like self driving works because no hands with a motorbike might be problematic. Yeah, at the beginning it will be. It will be very <laughs> problematic. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on. And now we uh, now we transition things over, guys, to uh, the panelists and our last segment of the show, which is climate startup of the night. Who were you guys most interested and excited about? If you were going to set up a meeting, one or two companies that you really would think would be a good fit, or you see a big upside on a, a venture bets perspective, who would you want to call out and why? David, Zoom seemed to put you up top, so you want to go first? Sure. Yeah. Big, big question. It's a lot of a lot of pressure right off the bat. Um, so, I mean, from the perspective of our fund and, and and the companies that have presented today that I think would would be most interesting to us and and the ones that I think um, have present with some interesting opportunities. Um, you know, PD, PDA Ecolab, I, I really enjoyed the, um, you know, I really enjoyed the the, the conversation around that. Um, I thought, you know, it looked like there was a, some, you know, good opportunities to get in with some early customers around the sporting goods and, you know, um, certainly anything that can, you know, enable, um, you know, sort of better quality uh, products that are not using carbon fibers, using instead a sort of bio alternative is something that would, would be interesting to us. Um, and the other one is, um, you know, EcoBean. I thought there was just so much and so much hidden within, you know, layers within that deck that um, I wanted to ask more and more questions on to understand the process, the chemistry, uh, you know, the, the benefits, the markets, you know, I think I, I would want to, uh, you know, another conversation just to understand a little bit more and a little bit uh, deeper um, on that. So, so for me, those were the two, I thought everyone, everyone did great. Um, but those are the two that sort of uh, resonated most with, uh, with me. I think I could agree with that as well. It looks like I'm number two, thanks to Zoom. PDA Ecolab was definitely my favorite because I think they have the clearest vision and a big, a big impact and business potential. I was really interested in EcoBean. I didn't realize I was as interested until I saw the presentation. But then the the one thing I do worry about, especially as someone who tries to do too much, is the trying to do too much. And I think that could be a challenge for them going forward. So I, I would put out one and two that way. Charlie? Yeah. Um, sorry to follow, follow you, you guys, dude. But, um, but yeah, definitely for me, PA Collab was uh, the presentation that stood for me as, uh, even though I'm, I'm no expert in any of the verticals that, that was shown at, I really, I really liked the presentation. It was landed. I, I thought it was very well um, responding to, to the problematic of carbon fiber. And I liked how how the business model was adapted to it. I, I think, um, uh, and I think I think uh, it, it went uh, it went well, and the vision is is landed. I want to say <laughs> I want to say that uh, I was actually most interested in the uh, EcoBean presentation coming in. Uh, I thought that the presentation could have could have been better. To be honest, I thought it was a little dispersed, and it, it, I I think that there's a really interesting opportunity 
opportunity there. Um, I have my worries about you know fundraising uh, with such a business model, um, but but uh, so so yeah, definitely PPA collab uh, in the middle. And Riley, last but certainly not least. Yeah, I feel like the best uh, groups are when there's strong disagreement, but unfortunately, I can't contribute to that here. Uh, also, felt like PDA Ecolab was was the the strongest of the four for for at least for us in, in terms of a follow up meeting. Um, and maybe just one one comment on on each of the others. Um, I, I think with with uh, with Nick and Carbominer, the love the personal story. I think it's it's good to hear about a why with a business, and that was really clear with with your daughter, Nick. I think it's. Uh, Great reason to start a business, um, and so loved hearing that. Uh, I think EcoBean had the best designed slides. Uh, something some investors care more about than others. We, we certainly do. I think you know we we appreciate that founders put a lot of time into their decks and presentation. Felt that that was the the best design presentation we had, and some real momentum behind the business. And uh, Nova Spikes sounds like a, a really impressive team. Uh, sounds like a, an amazing angel investor to bring into this round and. Um, the product, you know, partially I, I'm, I'm most excited about as an individual. So yeah, great, great work from everyone, but, but share the similar sentiment that that PDA Ecolab was the, the strongest of the four for us. Awesome. Then congrats, PDA Ecolab. Congrats, Jillian, for, for coming on, pitching, dominating. Congrats, everybody, for coming here and doing this and what you guys are doing. All the, all the visions and missions are meaningful. I think they can all be big impact. I think you've all got potential but you kind of have to choose a you kind of have to choose a favorite, especially in the venture game. Where is the best place for people to find and connect with you, Riley? Do you uh, you can go first this time? Yeah, for sure. Just by email, I'm I'm old school, so just my first name, Riley at Valia VC. Uh, so first name at Valia VC. Uh, feel free to reach out. Go for it, Charlie. Um, yeah, you can reach out on LinkedIn. I already received some notifications, so I'm pretty active there. So go ahead. Awesome. And David? Yeah, similarly, uh, LinkedIn or email, uh, more than happy to uh, to take a take a call with uh, with someone if, if you want to have a deeper conversation. David at PangeaVentures.com. Um, you know, I'm always, always keen to learn, learn and meet people in the ecosystem and um, and to connect so so feel free to to draw me a line you guys should know where to find me by now but if not forward.vc the number four ward.vc we invest in companies that move the world forward like some of the ones you see here if you want to apply for our accelerator our partner and climb program it's forward.vc accelerator we've got our database on our site of 900 plus funds and incubators accelerators so you can find your ideal investor for all clean tech and climate companies forward.vc slash vc database and if you want to connect with our climate techies group forward.vc slash techies we've got whatsapp groups and communities dedicated to energy manufacturing materials construction uh, transportation, anything and everything, you can find kind of your niche to plug in with some super connected climate techies. It's forward.vc slash WA, as in WhatsApp. You got to have WhatsApp. And that's uh, that's everything. If you want to apply for an upcoming session, we'll do this again in two weeks. It's just the startuptank.com. Would love to see you guys there. Thanks everybody for tuning in and have a, have a great one. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for tuning in to another segment of the Startup Tank Climate Investor Pitch Show presented by Forward VC. I'm your host, Matt Ward, serial founder, climate investor, and partner at Forward VC's Angel Syndicate, investing in companies that move the world forward. 
To learn more about me, download my free growth and fundraising guides, or to get help scaling your company, please visit mattward.io. If you're interested in pitching on a future segment of The Startup Tank, please visit thestartuptank.com. And if you're a credit investor interested in investing alongside us in top climate and impact companies that move the world forward, please visit forward.vc for more details and to apply.